0: You're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice, and this is Q&A with Samuel Chisichetti from Ark Church. Hi Samuel, how are you going?
1: Good, good. How are you, leader?
0: Yeah, good. It's good to be in the studio.
1: It is amazing.
0: <laughs> That's exactly right. So you're with Alita Robinson and Samuel Chisichetti from Ark Church, and we've been looking for the past few weeks at the question you love to teach on, Samuel, yes. which is, does God exist so you've been talking about a number of ways that this question is answered by great thinkers over time. This question is often one that comes in, comes up when believers are trying to share their faith. Yes, and often the response is, "I don't believe in God." Mm-hmm. So the aim of the discussion is to give believers the tools to be able to answer this question with the truth. Mm-hmm. When we've been brought up in the church, we've been on that journey with God from childhood and are not necessarily able to defend our position as well as we'd like.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But at some point, this statement will be made to us and we are not able to get a reasonable, give a reasonable answer mm. if we've not grappled with the truth about God ourselves. So maybe you can recap for us what we have learned so far and how we have come to this particular point.
1: Yeah, okay, wonderful. Uh, uh, f- first of all, it's always a, a tremendous opportunity and, uh, and a great joy, uh, a privilege to to be on, uh, on the radio at this particular time And to be able to share uh, the truth of the gospel and biblical truth And uh, it's always uh, uh, for us a, a commitment that the biblical worldview At least the way the Bible describes the world Must be presented in such a way that it is rational It is reasonable And it is believable and it is the best explanation uh, to the way we experience the world. Yep. And so, where we've come from is that we started out... A question was asked about, you know, sexuality and a culture and biblical sexuality. And so, we came to the conclusion that the biblical sexuality starts with God and cultural sexuality starts with self. Mm. So, that's where we started. Yep. And then the further question was, well, okay, well, hang on a minute. We live in a culture where most people no longer believe... Uh, Or at least there's a chunk of people no longer believe. What reason is there to believe your God exists? You know, why should anybody pay attention to your belief that God exists? And so, therefore, we launched into saying, well, if somebody's going to ask a question, we assume they have a certain degree of reasonableness and rationality to be able to get information, process it, and come to a reasonable conclusion, and that's irrespective of how they feel about the question. Okay, So, you know, one of the things that has happened to the believers very often, and it's been a consequence of an age of the sort of relational push for, you know, for for your faith, you know, Faith is only your relationship with Jesus. Uh, this has been, there's been quite a big push, uh, especially uh, in terms of Western Christianity, if you will, if I can describe it that way, as a, as a missionary into the West. That there is, you know, most people say that you just relationship with God and relationship with Jesus. It's okay. It's definitely okay to have a relationship. With That's all it comes down to. But just, you know. Insisting on that emotional connection with Jesus and that relational side uh, devoids the Christian message of its thinking rigor. Okay? So it devoids the Christian message of the rationality with which it is built. Mm. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis used to say Christianity is the thinking man's religion. And so, but we had made it the emotional man religion instead of a thinking man religion. And so, in that sense, the culture had come to conclude that belief in God was irrational. Belief in God, it didn't have any evidence for, it. Right? There's no evidence, really, to believe in God. And the people who believe in God are just, you know, they've got their invisible friend, or they believe, they believe in all sorts of things, as like Zeus and Spaghetti Monster. And, and so, this is basically, uh, I don't know whether it's a, this, is, this is a word, uh, when know when something credibility uh when, when if you remove credibility, what do you say it's the you know okay let's just formulate it as a, as a phrase it's remove credibility altogether from the Christian message mm. and some people say, oh yeah, yeah, those people go to church, you know, happy clappers, if not, or just you know those people who hold onto an old book uh full of tradition so and, and and we the Christian message I started to I like the way the great Ravisa Christ used to say even Bill Craig, one of my heroes. He said we have to bring the Christian message to first and foremost be a credible alternative on the market of ideas. Mm. Okay? Yeah. yeah. John mentioned Gresham, uh which is was one of the preachers of the seventeenth century. He said that false ideas are the greatest obstacle to the preaching of the gospel. You can preach with the favor of an evangelist, you know, but if we don't address false ideas, if Christianity is not viewed as a credible alternative, it doesn't matter how, I can be very passionate in my preaching, it will just simply go, well, yeah, look, it's a bunch of irrational stuff, you know, you're happy to believe in it, good for you, I'm not interested, we end there. Yeah. And so we therefore started this journey to say, what reason is there to believe God exists? Mm. I think this is one of the things that the Christian, every Christian in every church, I don't care what's a conservative church or is a Pentecostal church, I don't care what church you are in, you must seek to hold this very tight because the culture will challenge your faith. Mm. And they will challenge it on a rational basis, okay? Even though they have moral reasons. Why they don't want to believe But the smoke screen is It's not reasonable Or rational for intelligent people To believe in this stuff I remember one of my colleagues At work said to me Well I used to go to church until I grew up And so it was quite glaring It was him saying to me you are childish, you believe in this stuff, I've, I've gr- I'm grown up, you yeah. know? And, and so I smiled gently and said, oh, that's amazing. Can you tell me, what are the things you grew up out of? Mm. And so then we started a very good conversation, because I couldn't sit there and be told that I'm believing in childish stuff because he's grown up, right? Mm. He's a good friend, so we, we had a good fun. <laughs> now, so, therefore, I am here saying to you, but we started up looking at what reasons they forgot To believe God exists. Yes. But before we do that, we needed to define God. So we we didn't define God as some old man in the sky. We didn't define God like spaghetti monster or Zeus. No. The Christian God is the greatest conceivable being. Mm -hmm. The necessary being. So that's a classical definition. All right. So then we went, okay, what's the method? How do we know that the greatest conceivable being exists? What do you know the necessary being exists? I I outlined uh, at least three ways we come to reasonable rational conclusions. Scientifically, by the way, yes. You use deductive reasoning, okay? Deductive argument: all men are mortal. some is man, therefore Samuel is mortal. If the two premises are true, the conclusion you can't run away, even if you don't like it. Mm. Most people don't like to die, but that's just the reality. You will die. Yep. That's it. Yep. So deduction. Then we talked about induction. You get a, a sample. If it's big enough, like the way they do our scientific research these days, you know, if you've given, a, let's say, a particular medication to a sizable population, you can isolate, okay, people get better, uh, they'll have this side effect. You can be confident that if it was given to everybody else, you will more or less have those kind of same result. Mm. It's called inductive reasoning. That's how we do our scientific method. Then you've got abductive reasoning, which is you've got a set of data and you want to find what's the best explanation for it. And so the best explanation must be the explanation that accounts for more, rather than less. The explanation that takes all the other facts into account, and it explains more. It answers more questions. All right. And so it's you. You, you use terms like explanatory depth, e- explanatory scope, and explanatory breadth. So that's sort of the wide and the depth and and height yeah. of your explanation. Mm. So we looked at that. So abductive, inductive, deductive. Okay, we did that. Then we started out our first line of reasoning to believe God exists, we started out with what was called the cosmological argument, which is a family of argument that looks at the at, you know the the universe, our universe and the way it is made. Cuz at least you got to start with the data we have. It is true we here, it is true we live on this blue planet beautiful as it is, it is true that there are other planets around us. There's Milky Ways and black holes and, and, and so on and stars and with the sun and the moon and all the rest. So at least the universe is here. Okay? Yep. So that's a piece of evidence we have. So we're going to construct uh, a deductive argument. This is a Kalam cosmological argument defended, uh, it was uh, it was uh, propounded for the first time by a, um, a Muslim theologian uh, al Ghazali, and it has been revived recently by William Lane Craig, very, very brilliant Christian philosopher. So, we look at the Kalam, which goes, whatever begins to exist as a cause, mm-hmm. the universe began to exist, therefore the universe as a cause. Mm. Very deductive, airtight, if the first premise is true, the second is true, the conclusion follows. So, the first principle is a metaphysical principle that is basically intuitively believed and scientifically and philosophically demonstrated. Things don't pop out of, uh, into being out of nowhere for no reason, okay? No. Whatever, if you hear the bang on the door, what was that? In other words, what caused the bang? Mm. You know, you remember me saying, you know, the big bang. Needs a big banger. Big banger. <laughs> uh, that's great, Coco. It's yeah. funny. So, So, the universe is here. And whatever begins to exist as a cause, that's established metaphysically. The universe began to exist, and we have enough scientific evidence. Now, I did present the uh, Alvin Board, Alan Guth, and Alexander Vilenkin's theorem, which demonstrated that any universe in a state of ex- expansion, okay, you know, as ours is, will have a boundary, time, space, space. Boundary, a beginning point mm. So the universe began. Um, here, nobody, uh, those who are listening They haven't seen me go He's. I, I'm reading from the Bible now, This is what's called natural theology So whatever begins to exist is a cause The universe began to exist, therefore the universe is a cause mm. Conclusion A-tide Unless you deny that things don't begin to, uh, Whatever begins to not Things start without a cause Or unless you prove that the universe didn't begin to exist then you 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 basically stuck with the universe as a cause. Now we have to analyze what is the kind of cause. What kind of thing would have caused the universe? Universe is time, space, and matter and energy. So the the cause of universe would be timeless, timeless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. spaceless, yes, and immaterial, yep. and extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. That is the classic definition of God. Yes, and that is your first line where we started because when we sort of bring people up to speed. Yes. So when I say God exists, I haven't even opened my Bible. I've just told you the world around me, as a theologian reflecting on the world around me, I can tell you that God exists.
0: Yes. And the Bible says that, doesn't it? (laughs) That uh, we have the proof of God's existence uh, in the world around us. Mm. All right. Well, we're going to come back and uh, flesh that out a little further in a few moments.
2: Can you hear it resonating, staring deep within your soul? Can you feel it like a rhythm and you've got to let it go? What good are the drums if they can't be played? The drums if they can't be played What good is a hawk kept within a cage So let me know.
0: That was Newsboys with Symphony. So, Samuel, we've just uh, done a bit of a recap of what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks um, around the existence um, of God, whether, yep. whether uh, what we're seeing really within the uh, the realm of the world that we live in. Yes. Um, and you, as you said just before the break, you haven't even gone to the Bible yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, I haven't even. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm. But why do we have biblical teaching, and the Bible is God's special revelation to us, we have God's general revelation in creation, mm. and then that the uh, the the Christian theologian and philosopher can look at that, the creation, and reflect and come to the conclusion that God exists just on the basis of what is called natural theology. Now, so we've come, we've looked at the first, uh, um, you know, First argument we look at, which is called the Kalam cosmological argument, uh, which is, a f- f- you know, it comes from a family of cosmological argument, a con- contingent argument. Now, then we looked at the second one. So there are two two type of argument in this cosmological argument. Okay, as a family. The second one we look at was Gottfried Leibniz, mm. um, um contingency argument, which goes like this: everything that exists has an explanation for its existence, yeah Okay, and if the universe exists the explanation for the existence of the universe is God since the universe exists therefore God is the explanation for the existence of the universe, now you might say well hang on a minute, that, that's too much a jump mm. you just brought God in well let's start is start with everything that exists has got an explanation, things don't just ex- exist inexplicably mm. alright, things exist With an explanation either by the necessity of their nature, they exist because they cannot fail to exist, or they exist contingently. They exist because something has caused them to exist. Yes. There are two ways of existing, contingency existence and necessary existence. And so we looked at what would be sort of kind of necessary existence I'll give an example that m- many mathematicians and philosophers believe the numbers exist necessarily. Now, uh, for example, we can't imagine a world without numbers. You know, we've got a tree and another tree, we've got two trees, you know. Even if you you said to me that time, but how about we say we've got a forest? Mm-hmm. A forest is an ensemble of multiple trees. Okay? Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in that sense, uh, there are things that exist necessarily. So, we look at why. Right, so, the universe... Exist contingently. Our first argument proves it. So you can imagine this universe, like your life and mine, are not necessarily living because you can imagine a world within which I didn't exist mm. or you didn't exist. Yeah. In the same way, you can imagine a, a, a world where the universe didn't exist. Okay. And so, in that sense, even from um, uh, a um, even from a, a standpoint of um um so sometimes my mind goes blank so <laughs> I thought it was going somewhere else. Yeah. Even from a standpoint of um looking at the universe as it is. So a, 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 a an ensemble of you know particles and, and all sorts sorts of stuff. And so you can go, well what kind of explanation is there for the, of the universe? You can give two explanations. Either the universe exists necessarily or the universe exists contingently. Mm. And so, at least now we know that the universe exists contingently. So, you know, some some uh, some um, philosophers like Bertrand Russell, for example, would say, well, look, the universe is just there, inexplicably. Well, hang on a minute. That is called a taxicab, um, you know, fallacy, where, you know, everything is an explanation, but we accept, except the universe. You see, Leibniz doesn't even say everything is an explanation except God. Yes. No, Leibniz says everything including God is got an, an explanation. So the universe doesn't ex- exist inexplicably. It exists contingently. Mm. And if it exists contingently, it means therefore its explanation is in something else that causes it to be. You know, the the example uh, is, I, I think it's Richard Taylor. Uh, a, a philosopher who, who gave an example to say If you walk in a bush And you see a big massive balloon And you your friend and you go Well, how did this balloon came, get here? And your friend says Oh, just forget it It just is It's a brute fact mm. You're like Well, no, hang on That's not satisfactory, is it? Because you want to know Did somebody put it there? Did it fly through the wind and end it up there? What would cause this balloon? So whether this balloon is the size of a hand or the size of the planet, or the size of the universe, does not excuse it from having an explanation.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah. So, (laughs) (laughs) in that sense, the universe itself begs for an explanation, Mm. and the explanation of the universe must be
0: outside it. Which is probably why scientists want to know the answer to the question. I mean, it's been an age-old task, hasn't it? Everybody's been pursuing that.
1: You have nailed it. Yeah. The atheist attitude is actually anti-science. Because why would cosmologists be studying cosmology if they were not trying to find explanation for things? Exactly. So if you say, look, the universe just is inexplicable. Well, let's stop the inquiry then.
0: Yes. So. It's, and it's, all the money spent on space travel and everything else.
1: There you go. Yeah. So I'm trying to say to you, the person who believes in God, he's looking for explanations. And the atheist the, is like, because if we seek for explanations, the explanation might end up being God. Mm. I don't want to hear that. Yeah, that's
0: exactly right. Let
1: me say away, right? Yeah. So, Rabinage therefore posed this uh, very, very well articulated, challenging explanation for the universe. Mm. The existence of the universe is found outside the universe. And so, the universe is made of time, matter, and space, and energy. So, the... The explanation for the universe, at least the cause of the universe, would be timeless, spaceless, you know, immaterial. That's what we call spirit mm. and extremely powerful. Yeah. So two line of arguments there, and what you do with the argument for this of God is you're building a case. Yes. All right. You know, when the a detective is building a case for murder, there is not really one particular piece of evidence that would be, Oh, here it is they will look at, you know, to find the motives. Was the, the, the perpetrator, the supposed perpetrator, in the area when the event happened? And was there any fingerprint anywhere? Was the murder weapon found? Is there anything else that basically connects them to the place of the event? And after you build a big enough case, you can go, based on the preponderance of evidence, mm. it is reasonable to conclude that, That this is the matter. Yeah. And our justice system works like that. Okay? So, what you do with natural theology is uh, you are, uh, we are building the case slowly, slowly so that after the preponderance of evidence you come to the point of, huh, the beginning of the universe, the explanation for the existence of the universe, now we're going to take a look at the third uh, line of thinking we looked at. Mm -hmm. And, it was called a moral argument. Yes. Now, the moral argument is exactly the same family of deductive argument uh, which is very airtight. Think about it. I actually would like to pose that question today in a different way. Could we be good without God? That's the question. Mm-hmm. Could we be good without God? Now, as I'm asking the question, someone's like, well, what do you mean? Like, you mean... I can't be a good person if I didn't believe in God. Well, that's not what I said. Mm. I didn't say, could we be good without believing in God? I'm saying, could we be good without God? Mm. Okay. We all know people who don't believe in God, but who are good, but sometimes they put the Christians, you know, to shame morals to shame. <laughs> exactly. Yes, they do. That's not the question. Mm. The question is, if there was no God, would they be good to be? Yeah. What good would they be to pursue? Mm. All right. Yeah. It is not. It's a question of what the philosoph- philosophers call a question of ontology, rather than a question of epistemology. Big words. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. Epistemology means how do we come to know something? Okay. Yes. Ontology means where the thing comes from. Yeah. It's a different thing to know to come to know something. And it's a totally different thing for that thing to come from somewhere. Give an example I gave last time. You know, I can read a book without knowing its author. I can read a book. Yes. But if there was no author... There wouldn't be a book. There wouldn't be a book to read. Mm. See, one is a question of ontology. Where did the book come from? How did I come to know the book? So, in that sense, let's formulate an argument that is deductive and airtight. If God didn't exist objective moral values and duties would not exist. Mm. But objective moral values and duties do exist. Therefore, God exists. Now, that's a really pretty good airtight argument. It's got three premises, uh, two premises and a conclusion. Mm -hmm. If God didn't exist, objective moral values and duties would not exist. Okay? Okay. And then, then we go, objective moral values and duties do exist, therefore God exists. Now, I would want to start with this particular argument to defend the second premise first. Okay. And then I'll go back to the first premise, and mm-hmm. then we'll go to conclusion. The, first, the second premise is the, the idea that we apprehend moral truths, moral truths, like this is right, this is wrong. We apprehend moral values. Human beings are valuable. They ought to be treated like valuable. Yeah. The, our, our sense of equality is built on the fact that human beings must have the same value, regardless whether they're blue, black, white, or green. Mm-hmm. People get offended mm. if you say that well, uh, people of a particular color or lack of color are not valuable. as valuable as yes. all the human beings. Yeah. People get upset. You're going to be a racist, yeah. right? So in that sense, uh, we we have this core belief, at least we apprehend, that there is moral values that human beings have, mm. therefore must be treated equally. And then we have moral duties, which is, you shouldn't do A, you shouldn't do B, that's not right, this is wrong. And so we, the, the question is, do these actually exist or not. We apprehend them, but people have got all sort of experiences whether this is just, you know, our own opinion or test. Where does it all come from? We'll look at that in two seconds. Yes,
0: we will. We'll have a, a, a little listen to uh, Kate Spence and Deeply in Love. This is one hundred and five point one Life FM Bendigo's Positive Choice, and we're still on the God question, Samuel. We are, and uh, you were talking about uh, about goodness. Yes, and um, and I suppose it begs the question then then if if um, if goodness depends on us, then who actually? sets what
1: goodness really is. Who has is. to say, exactly. Yeah, who has
0: to say and and uh, why do I listen to that person when my goodness might be something completely different?
1: Exactly. And so people would say, well, look, um, all we have is our, you know, opinions on 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 what is good and what is bad and what is right and what is wrong. And so in that sense, you go, okay, well, if it's our opinion, why then should you say to me that your opinion must then become, you know, a lot more good than me. Like, think about it, the way people actually behave. You know, people have got this stuff they want to get done, and, and they want to pass it as laws over everybody else, yeah, uh, because they think it's the right thing to do. If it was a matter of your own personal opinion, why should your opinion not be imposed on everybody else? Mm. You see, what the great Rabbi Zacharias used to say, whatever worldview you come to espouse, you must be able to it must be able to describe the world as objectively as we see it mm. number two, it must be coherent and consistent number three, you must be able to leave it out mm. think about it for example saying that torturing a little child for the sheer fun of it is a matter of opinion would be nonsense yeah it' would be just way out nonsense it, regardless of the person who says it I don't, regardless of how powerful they are. It's it's like we have the the same way we apprehend the physical world that there are trees and cars and we we have the same apprehension we apprehend the realm of moral truths to the point where if anybody said well you know violating a a a young girl by a, a grown up woman or grown up man or woman doesn't matter uh, and taking advantage of a young girl uh, you know, or, or, you know Sexually is is right. They are as you know. I'll say that they have a distortion, the same way as somebody who's colorblind. Mm. who can't differentiate green from red. You see what I mean? Think about it. I'll give you an example that would be provocative. Who could ever say that it would be good for a priest to to take advantage of young boys and for the church to hide it? Well, if it was matter of test, well then, what is the point where we had you know the uh, you know, the uh, Royal Commission inquiry and, and then we're we to try to find out who who can be punished.
0: Yes. And why are they in jail then if it's just a matter exactly. of...
1: Exactly. Preference. You yes. can't tell me that the person who goes out and murders 10 people has just simply done something so benign that it was just simply a matter of their own test. They like mm. doing it. Yeah. So, from a philosophical point of view, we know intuitively and we apprehend the reality that objective moral truths exist. Yes. So that's the second premise. And the question is so values is as I said, human beings are valuable. Mm. And duties is you should or should not do this. Obligations. We have you are obligated to Mm. when you say hey you shouldn't do that. You're saying to them, you are obligated to do this or not do that. The question is who places that obligation on me? Mm. You? Who are you? Right. So let me then go to the first premise, which was uh, if God didn't exist, you know, objective values and duties didn't, didn't, wouldn't exist. Think about it this way. According to atheism, all we are is matter, atoms and, and molecules in motion. Right. Mm-hmm. OK. So and the animals and the piece of dirt on the ground, you know, is just uh, dust as much as I am, just a, colli- a collusion of atoms and molecules. What therefore confers to me value about the dirt? To start there. Mm. Why is the dirt in my garden less valuable than me? Mm-hmm. If the person can pick up the dirt and chuck it wherever, whether it crumbles or collapses, well, you haven't done anything wrong. If you pick me up, a human being, and chucked me around and got broken, people are like, well, you shouldn't be doing that. Why? Because we recognize there is a difference between the value of the dirt, even though I'm from the dirt. Mm-hmm. The dirt is atoms and molecules colliding. I'm dirt too. But it seems like this dirt is more more valuable than that dirt over there. Mm. What confers this dirt value to that one?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Another human being? Well, okay. If it, was, if it was another human being, well, okay, well, they could decide, where well, you are the same as that dirt. Remember in the, in the days of slavery where you know a slave was a piece of property like a piece of machinery yes, and, and you could do whatever you... you know. Do you know that those people of that time were as morally wrong as the people who believed that the earth was flat? Mm. Because the objective truth of the visible world is, is the same as the objective truth of our moral reality, right? So in that sense... Uh, the value we have could not be conferred to us by the evolutionary mechanism. No. Because if it was just a random process that produces this particular you know, being we are, on which basis would the collision of these atoms now somehow confer some value to me? And it's a deep philosophical question. Human beings are valuable only if their values were conferred to them by a being higher and greater than them. Yes. Mm. Do you remember when we were talking about uh, sexuality? I was uh, I was trying to show you how things get sanctified, and I gave an example of when you take a piece of paper that it becomes money. Yes, that's right. Mm. What makes this piece of paper valuable more than any other piece of paper is the authority that set the value on it. Yes. So that if I piked up and said, oh, "I've got my piece of paper," it's the same; it's got the same value. It will not. No. So human beings will have no intrinsic values unless that value was conferred to them by a being higher than themselves. You can't leave this out. If you think human beings are conferred values only by other humans or by their society, then people like, you know, Bokassa, there was a man in in Africa, he was an emperor who thought that all the invalid, disabled people had no values. put put, uh, Horrible things. Put them all on a plane, flew all the way over the ocean, and just simply threw them in the ocean. Wow, Okay. Well, if you're an atheist, on which basis can you tell him he did the wrong thing? Mm. If you you believe values came from society, well then, on which basis would you say Hitler was wrong if he determined that uh, some human beings were not as human? Mm. On which basis would you say people like Idi Amin in Africa, you know, determined that some tribes were not humans and just slaughtered them by tons?
0: still happening in the world today
1: oh yeah we, we've got abortion happening do you know the, deba- the debate between the the people who are pro-life and people who are pro-choice it hangs on one thing is the thing the unborn a human being or not mm. and they prefer to say well it's not a human being whatever definition it's not it's diagonalgod it's a clump of cells or it's you know it's part of the human woman body this this is as old days. And you know why this is continued to grow as big? As it is because society is slowly, slowly, continue to believe that some people could decide who is human and who's not. Yes. And if they're not human, then we could do whatever. Mm. So God confers value to human beings. This is why the Bible says, "Made on the image in the image of God." Yes. So God confers value, and it is those values then that determines the obligations. Mm. Since human beings are valuable, you should not. You ought not to treat them like this. You ought to treat them like this. So the uh, 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 you know, our objective moral duties flow from the moral values. Why? Because God is the ultimate good. Mm. I'll get to that in a moment. So, so here we are. So, first premise: If God didn't exist, objective moral values wouldn't exist. But objective moral values and duties exist. Yes. Therefore, God exists. You can say, well, but you can, we've just developed this as a meca- mechanism of survival. Oh, yeah. Let me, let me show evolutionarily let me show you what is easy to survive for me to be the strong man who goes out with a gun and just shoot anybody that I find and take their stuff or for me to work Monday to Friday 8 to, nine, to 7 and, and, and do the right thing and pay a mortgage you know after 30, 40 years which one is easy which one will make me survive best
0: well, maybe just going out and getting what you want, whichever way you want it.
1: Exactly. Mm. Especially if I've got the strength. Mm. If I've got the guns. That's the survival of the fittest the strength, thing. And yeah. why, why should the, the fittest decide who survives? Mm. Right? Yeah. If I'm the fittest, I can decide. Who, but, but we human community, well, yeah, who confers that idea? Yes. Here's another one which is actually even more deep. If all our moral thinking was a consequence of evolutionary process what makes our moral thinking objective anyway why should we think that we've arrived to a conclusion that our moral thoughts given evolution is somehow something that should be given some credence to so I'm trying to say on an evolutionary point of view on an atheistic point of view you are in a incoherent inconsistent mumble jumble but isn't that what the world is doing
0: now when they're looking at gender in oh, particular? Yeah. Aren't they saying that the evolutionary process has gone beyond male and female? We now have all these 50, 100,
1: 100 200 different genders. Hello? I find it quite extraordinary. <laughs> Think about it this way. Yeah. If our decisions were made from survival point of view, the more we move away from the nucleus family, yeah? Yeah. The less will be able to actually survive. It's rather... Can I tell you something? See these transgender ideologies and stuff? They're a Western problem. They are just typically a Western world problem. A Western world cultural problem that has been now explained in social sciences as it was some piece of science. Mm. See, one thing that I've been educated in the West... I've always been shocked by the fact that in the West, people think everything that happens in the West is what happens to all humans. Everywhere else.
0: Yes, that's right. We live in a bubble, don't we?
1: It's quite extraordinary, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Think about it. The West is only 25% of the world population. You go to the countries in Africa where I've come from, you don't find this gender ideology stuff. No. It's a Western cultural phenomenon. And, by the way, over the last 50 years, the decline in Western population has been just Extraordinary. You see, to their population replacement, you need at least 2.11. Mm-hmm. Australia's population replacement right now is 1.9.
0: Well, if you keep aborting your children and you transgender people from male to female so that they're not able to reproduce, you end up with a whole society that can't reproduce. So there's no children.
1: Not only that, and we think, okay, we can rely on IVF. It's extremely costly. And Where's we'll, all the eggs and sperm? Where's it all coming from? Yeah, yeah. but not only that, the other problem you have is people are not interested in having kids anyway. Mm. People want to live, the, live their lives and not, uh, have one or two kids. That's that's the end. So, countries like Germany, the population replacement at 1.6, if, if, if I'm correct. Greece and Italy, 1.4. So, basically, it's irreversible. Mm. So, over 100 years, I'm sorry to say that I'm a missionary preaching the gospel in the West, But the ideas that we've come to espouse matter. See how people frown over on on families who have got five, ten kids. Mm. Five kids, whoa, ten kids. Do you have something else to do or not? Mm. And so we're thinking, well, let's espouse all these ideas. And not not long, we find ourselves that people like Africa, Middle East, who are still having 8.1 population replacement, will be the most numerous. Yes. So, put that aside just to say it is a consequences. <laughs> Yes, that's right. We digress. <laughs> this, this is serious. Yes, it is. I have always said that any society that kicks Christ out of it will end up in huge, massive darkness. Mm. So, here we are. We have demonstrated that the two first premises are true. Therefore, God exists. And then we will sort of come and wrap this up. So I think people have got a good a good grasp of what we're talking about.
0: Yes. Okay. So we're going to have a, a little break. Uh, Caleb and Kelsey, oh, love these guys, sing beautifully together. We're going to hear "Good Good Father" and "No Longer Slaves."
2: I've heard a thousand stories of what they think your life but i've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night can you tell me that you're pleased and that i'm never alone i'm no longer Cha
0: A child of God. Yeah, beautiful song. Samuel, we're uh, going to just wrap up what we've been talking about today around the moral argument for the existence of God. So... Um, when we talk about the consequences of these ideas and uh, and where that takes us as a society mm. it can uh, can look quite frightening can't it really when uh, when we start putting ourselves in the place of god which we'd already talked about before yes. uh when we take god out of the picture and we make ourselves god then we've opened ourselves uh, well there's a pandora's box of um very, very, very... All very, sorts of incoherences. Yes, because everybody is different. In a mm. Pandora's box, there's, mm. there's far too many ideas that clash that are not going to really make for a cohesive society. That's exactly right.
1: And so uh, and that leads us to, now that we established that if God didn't exist, there would be no good to be. Mm. Okay? Yeah. And since there's good to be, to seek, and to pursue, and there is evil, and there's bad, there's value... And there are moral duties, we can therefore see that on that basis, therefore, God exists. Yes. Okay? And so, having established that, this is, I think, the most powerful piece of evidence. Because when I talk about cosmology and, you know, we talk about planets and, you know, the existence of the universe, it doesn't really reach to the very core of human heart. The human heart wants to pursue being good, right? Right? Yes. Just try try and go out on the street and say to somebody, you're a bad person, and see them reality. Of course, everybody wants to be a good person. Mm. But how can you be a good person if you're not lining up with the standard of goodness? Yes. So it's like to say, you can't have a straight line. You can't really draw a straight line unless you have another straight line to compare it to, like the standard of straightness. Must be known for you to go. Uh, compared to that, this line is more is a lot straighter than that one. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. I uh, l- like the way William Lankreit gives an example to say a recording is a good one if it's faithful to the live performance. Yes. If you record and then you put it to the live performance and the live performance. And the recording is distorted. How do you know it is distorted? Because you've got the live performance as a standard. In the same way, we cannot be good unless we look at the standard of goodness, which is God. And then God, out of His goodness, issues commands, and His commands are a consequence of His moral character. This answers something that was called a youthful dilemma. Dilemma that was... Well, is something good because God says so? Or does God say something so because it is good? Yes. Think about this dilemma. Okay. Mm. Is something good just because God says so? What do I mean? Well, what if God decided that, you know, murdering people was okay? Would that be okay? As though God could arbitrarily just decide whatever. Change his mind. Right? Mm -hmm. That's the first prong. Yeah. The second prong is, or does God say do not murder because not murdering is good? It's the right thing to do. In that sense, the good is outside God. So does God arbitrarily decide what is good? Or is the good outside of God? And God then picks it up. It's called Euthyphro Dilemma. It was... um, It's called, sorry? Euthyphro Dilemma. Okay. The Euthyphro Dilemma was in one of Plato's discourses. Okay. uh, Where he he, he put... Him and his, his students were discussing whether you know, goodness comes from God or is outside of God. If it comes from God, is it not arbitrary? See, it's a false dilemma because the Christian doesn't have to go with either of those two, A or B. The Christian's got a third alternative. God decrees what is good because he is the good. Yes. God is good. Yes. And goodness is his moral character. Mm. So then you yes, ask, but can God issue a command that is evil? Well, asking that question is asking a nonsense question. It's mm. like asking if there was a square circle, would its area be a multiplication or a square root of its side? Well, there are no square circles to start with. Mm. Or, well, can I? Can you give me a married bachelor? Mm. Well, no, it's a nonsense question. If God's character is good, there is no evil in Him. No. any commanding issues. Is a, a a reflection of his goodness. In that sense, it's not that a God doesn't issue command because the goodness is out of sight of Him. He doesn't issue commands arbitrarily. He issues commands consistent with His goodness, His good character. Mm. So therefore, the pursuit of our society today to try to be good without God is futile. Yes. You have to ground the goodness in yourself. How about the other person disagree, and so, or what if, like, what we've actually done, which is quite funny, the Western society is a funny place.
0: I really do like your perspective. I have to say,
1: we've, <laughs> we've started out with all, all, all things are relative, mm. and the same people who said that they were relative, it's a matter of opinion, have now gone on and got into our laws and passed the laws to enforce that opinion on everybody. Mm-hmm. Now they go overseas, say to all the African countries and Middle Easterners, we've got money, we're powerful. Yeah. If you don't do it our way, we're going to not give you the money. It's basically, they bribery. call it, mm. no, not bribery, yeah. it's actually blackmail. Blackmail, yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. We call it in French, chantage. Mm-hmm. It's blackmail. Yeah. We want you to espouse, the thing that we used to believe were relative, Leave and let live. Like in, co- in co- question of you know, whether it is transgenderism or, or, or same sex marriage, it used to be like, well, look, we, we, we just want to just live our lives. Now it's law. If you don't agree with that, you shall be. And then you go to African countries and say, you must pass these laws, otherwise no money. This is the consequence of moral relativism. Yeah. Moral relativism is evil to its core. Yes. Because it's going to make the most powerful to be the person to impose whatever their morality is. I remember Barack Obama used to say, oh, it's the right thing to do. Mm. Well, what makes it right? You? Yeah. And so, in that sense, the pursuit of trying to be good without God makes people enforce their own point of view on others at the risk of jail, ostracization, cancel culture. Mm -hmm. You'll lose your livelihood. you lose your... Because our moral must stand. Remember the Israel Folau kind of thing? Yes. Yeah. If you don't subscribe to our moral, then uh, I thought you guys used to say it's relative. Yes. So, what's the solution? God is not insecure. Mm. <laughs> no, not. God who sets the moral standard is not insecure. No. He lets people, even who disagree with Him, even those who are atheists, even those who. He still gives them the chance to live their lives until the day of judgment. Mm-mm. But even beside that, He gives us the way out. Christ comes. Mm-hmm. It's a atoning sacrifice. Yeah, I I want to tell every Christian who's listening to me right now: you have the best worldview, the most coherent worldview. There is this universe God made it. The universe is an explanation because God is explanation. Morality that we all run to couldn't be here unless God actually is the source of morality, and therefore the same God who gave us the moral commands. Knows that we fail to abide by those. Mm. He doesn't even come and punish us straight away. No. He gives us his son as an atoning sacrifice. Mm. So that in Christ, he will strengthen our morals. Then we don't have to be good in our own strength. Christ lived a moral standard life that was perfect. Then he says, well, I'm happy to stand as a substitute for you before God. Mm. It relieves this big, big burden of some human being trying to enforce their moral standard on us. So that in Christ, you can receive forgiveness. You can receive grace. And then you can walk with God, knowing that God gave you the freedom that human beings want to take away from you. That there's nothing that anyone can say that would that like, as a reasonable, rational person. I talk with atheists all the time. Mm. Like, you've got a worldview that's got mumble jumble, and look at Look at all the effort you have to go to to try to enforce it. So the gospel of Christ is can be built on the revelation of God in the Bible, mm. but also can be built on your knowledge of natural theology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe in God because it is rational to believe so. I haven't even gone to. Uh, we will do over the few next few weeks. Do more and more. I'm building a case that will be absolutely so overwhelming. Now, the person who looks at you and says there is no God, you just look at them and say, why would a reasonable person believe something so ridiculous? Yes. And that's always what I... Someone says, oh, I'm an atheist. I'm like, why would an otherwise reasonable person like you believe in such ridiculousness? <laughs> then what do you mean? <laughs> because you have more than enough reasons to believe God exists. Amen. Well...
0: It's a very exciting subject and I know why you love teaching on it <laughs> because it actually is the core of everything, isn't it? Really. Yeah. And, uh, and it up- upholds everything and puts everything into perspective and into place and makes everything relevant and correct and wonderful. So uh, thank you again, Samuel, for, uh, for sharing today. And, uh, and we will be back next week to continue this conversation about God. And his existence, and uh, we'll start opening the Bible. I'm assuming
1: we're still doing natural theology. So, <laughs> oh, okay. We continue with natural theology. All
0: right, that's <laughs> terrific. Well, it's good because uh, often people do say um, they don't believe the book. So, um, if we can uh, we can balance that with the other side of it as well, it's fantastic. All right. Well, we'll catch everybody again next week, and uh, have a blessed day. You've been blessed. Go and be a blessing.